calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The Max Quick series is also available as ebooks in the iPhone App Store. 18. Martial Law Blackthorn nailed the edict to the door of the Lucky Thirteen, the Town Hall, and several other public places around the Jip. It read, Hear ye, citizens of Arturo Jip, martial law is hereby declared, by order of Sheriff Blackthorn. Food. All food will now be rationed and distributed by the Sheriff. Private sales of food is hereby banned. Any food you have stored must be turned over to the sheriff immediately for redistribution. Mayor. The sheriff will also function as the mayor until further notice. Witches. Witches will be dragged by a horse into the desert and chained to the tree of pain. All witches be warned. Property. All private property is hereby confiscated by the mayor. This includes teepees, lean-tos, hotels, churches, and booths. Firearms. Firearms are no longer allowed in the city limits, with the sole exception of the sheriff. Turn your guns into the sheriff immediately for safekeeping in the town armory. Fires. No fire shall be built other than the official town fire at the end of the street near the Victorian. The well. The well is now the property of the mayor. Water is to be rationed daily from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Town Hall. The town hall and the reading of all town records, deeds, histories, etc. is strictly off-limits. Henceforth, this information is the exclusive purview of only the mayor. Failure to comply with any law above will result in immediate execution. The Honorable Mayor Blackthorn. Casey, Sasha, Cody, and Logan read the edict with disgust in front of the general store. I love how he starts off as just the sheriff at the top of the paper, but by the bottom, he's the mayor, Sasha hissed. I am so sorry you stopped me from shooting him, Casey said to Cody. Why is he doing this? Cody asked quietly. What does he gain? I don't know. Nothing he's done since the Hill Day has made any sense at all, Casey replied. He was this close to escaping the jip when he ripped his own plan to shreds. I think he's lost his mind. Logan had been pondering silently, but now he spoke up. Nothing Blackthorn does is without reason. Even this. 
All this is going to do is throw everyone into a panic of fear and rage, Sasha said. I don't understand why he would want to stay in Archero Jip, Casey whispered. Every Nuberian we've ever met has hated being on Earth. Couldn't wait to leave. And he's been a castaway here for years. Why, why wouldn't he want to go back? Maybe he can't, Logan said. Maybe he has to stay for some reason. He said he was damned to this place, with or without that ship. Casey dropped her head into her hands. Her mane of blonde hair fell forward into a pile. Now that can't be right. He could have left yesterday. He's just gone mad. This place has flipped his lid. How are the townfolk going to respond to this martial law? Sasha asked Cody and Logan. Are they just going to accept it? Cody looked at Logan. Hard to say. Most folk here are simple. They're just trying to survive and make the best of things. And everyone knows that standing up the Blackthorn means you'll probably get yourself killed. But they won't like it, that's for sure. I agree, Logan replied. But I doubt anyone will fight Blackthorn over it. They will hate him intensely for this and fear him, perhaps even more greatly than before. Never mind the others. What are we going to do? Sasha asked. Are we just going to put out our fire and hand over our guns? Our food? The teepee? Cody shook his head. No, I have no intention of doing that. Me neither, Casey breathed. We can't live like that. He doesn't even give a reason why he's doing this. There's not even a pretense of a justification, Sasha whispered. Something happened to him out there in the hills on the hill day, Cody mused. That's where all this is coming from. He's been working up this whole time on a plan to escape, and when it finally succeeds, he decided not to go through with it. He figured something out. He decided to stay in the jip and transform the town into something more suitable to his liking. Yeah, Casey said, picking up the thought. Maybe he decided being a king here rather than just a centurion back on Nibiru was better. It's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven, Cody said. Sasha's head whipped towards him in surprise. Did you just quote Milton? Cody smiled. Don't let the buckskin suit fool you. I've read many of the classics. Meaning he's read them to me, Logan said. I tricked him into educating himself. I pretended I'd never heard them read aloud before. Cody looked surprised. You never told me that. I wasn't done tricking you yet, Logan replied. We are now, Cody grumped in a kidding kind of way. I wonder why the town hall is suddenly off limits, Casey mused. Sasha grinned wryly. Well, I'd say he just pointed us to where we should look next in the mystery that is Archuro Jip. There's something in there he doesn't want anyone to know about, obviously. Also, I need to see the fortune teller, Casey said abruptly. She knew things about Blackthorn when he went to go see her. I bet she's got a beat on what's going on now. Hello, Casey said tentatively as she entered the tent of the fortune teller. Come in, said a voice in the darkness. I've wondered when you would visit. Casey's eyes adjusted, and she saw the fortune teller sitting at her table. The candles danced in the desert wind, making the shadows of the room jump around spastically. Athena, right? Casey said. Yes, Athena smiled. She didn't ask how Casey knew her name, but the look in her eyes suggested that she already knew. I, um, Casey said. I'm ready to do your reading, Athena said quietly. You're ready for it now. You weren't before, but you are now. Casey said hesitantly, Does it matter if I actually believe in this kind of thing or not? Not in the least, Athena replied. This isn't about belief. It's about understanding. Understanding what? Your nature, who you are, what you can do, what you can't do. 
How can I understand all that from the reading? Casey asked. Athena sighed and smiled. You'll see reflections of yourself, parts of you. The same process that makes this place real will be reflected in miniature in the cards. Random chance is dictated by larger forces at work. Did you know that things which generate random numbers, like dice or even cards, become statistically less random as a catastrophe approaches? There are always tremors before the quake. We are going to examine those tremors, those hints. Casey drew in a breath as though she were about to speak and then stopped. She felt as if she might get up and run out of here at any moment. I'm sorry, Casey said. This is going to sound weird, but I have to ask. She gathered her courage and almost closed her eyes as the words came out of her mouth. Are you a Nibirian? Athena laughed. No! Do you, do you even know what I'm talking about? What a Nubarian is? Athena nodded. Yes, but I'm not one, I promise. How do you know about them? Casey asked, startled that she seemed to comprehend so completely. Athena shrugged. You'll just have to trust that I know just about as much about them as you do. Enki, Enlil, all that. Yes, I know. There's a crashed sky chamber out in the desert, Casey whispered. I know, Athena replied. Is this a book? I mean, this whole place, Arturo Jip, Casey asked suddenly. I don't know, Athena replied. You would know more about that than I. Are you afraid that Blackthorn will kill you? Casey breathed. You know, his little edict against witches. Athena laughed. He can no more kill me than he can kill himself. That answer surprised Casey. What did that mean? But Athena didn't give her a chance to question it further. She began shuffling the deck. She placed five cards on the table. She turned the first card. The queen, she said. That is who you are. You are the queen of this place. But you don't know it yet. However, you are beginning to suspect. Then came the next card. The cave. You must dig deeply to discover what you need to know. For the insight you require to become the queen. Was she referring to the cave out in the hills? I've already done that, Casey replied. I've learned, well, something, but not exactly what I need. No, Athena waved her off. Deeper. You are not deep enough yet. The next card was more disturbing. An eclipse. The transit. That is what is happening right now. An eclipse of the light by the shadow of darkness. The shadow would make this eclipse permanent if it could. The fourth card. The two of moons. In the end, there will be only two of you. Both women, standing alone against the shadow. That hurt her. Just her and Sasha? Where was Cody? Logan? The rest of the jip? Then the fifth card. The two of roses. You will both have help. Logan stared at Casey and Sasha with a secret smile on his face. What? Casey asked. It's time. There's something I've been keeping for you, too. And now it is time to give it to you. Sasha and Casey looked at each other in surprise. What could Logan Whitecloud have been keeping for them? Remember the first night you stayed in my teepee? There was a rattling, something shaking under the earth. Sasha nodded. She remembered. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. You said it couldn't be, and then you'd look into it, and then it just stopped. Logan knelt at the same spot on the floor near his own bed that he had listened to on that very first night. He pulled back the bearskin covering the floor and reached directly into the sand, digging with his hands. In a few moments, he brought up two ornately crafted wooden boxes that had been buried wrapped in a burlap sack. 
Each box was polished walnut and shone with a wonderful craftsmanship. He handed one to Casey and the other one to Sasha. A long time ago, when I was a young man, I had a vision that I should have these made. They were for two warriors, for two travelers from a faraway place. At the time, it was not at all clear who was meant. I thought initially that I would very soon give them to two men I knew, who seemed to fit the description. But my vision said to wait. For years I did wait, wondering when the mystery of whom these weapons were meant for would be made clear. And now it has been. These were meant for the two of you. Casey opened her box slowly and gasped. Cushioned in black velvet were two rather spectacular guns pointing at each other. They were made of fabulously shined silver with deep red roses entwining over the length of the barrel. The artistry and the detail of the ornamentation was breathtaking, magnificent. Each rose was crisp and healthy, as if it were real and had simply grown around the gun. Even the twining stems had small thorns in them, painted perfectly. Casey thought that if she touched one, she might even prick her finger. The modern world did not have such wonderful things as this in it. No, that world was full of mass-produced plastic and mini-marts and consumables. This was a thing from another epoch. These guns were twin Excaliburs, paintings by Michelangelo, and inventions of da Vinci's all rolled into one. Sasha opened her wooden box. She also had two guns, but hers were pure gold, with white roses twisting along the barrel. They were every bit the equal of Casey's in depth of craftsmanship. Casey sucked in a breath. The two of roses! Had the card referred to these guns? A genius made them, Logan said quietly. A man of talent this world has rarely seen. Who was he? Casey breathed. One of his conditions of making them was that I not reveal his name, nor anything further about him. So I'd ask that you two refrain from asking me any more questions that I cannot answer without breaking my oath. Casey and Sasha both nodded respectfully. They trusted Logan's judgment implicitly, and a gift like this was not to be taken lightly in any way. You two are the silver and gold, the red rose and the white rose, Logan said with a smile. Casey lifted one gun out of the velvet. It fit her hand perfectly, and the weight was solid but not heavy. She moved the gun in the air, and it seemed to move with her effortlessly, helping her. It was like it had been custom-made specifically with her in mind. Sasha did the same, and her face lit up with wonderment. She noticed that her weapon felt a part of her already. The rapport that Logan had insisted was so important between a gunfighter and her gun seemed already present, baked in. She could somehow feel it. As you have noticed, these guns are much more than guns. They have a temperament, a personality, one that is already bonded to each of you. Be good to them, take care of them, and they will serve you well. Think of them as living beings, not things. Pet them, talk to them, tell them that you care about them and that you trust them. Casey was suddenly reminded of Blackthorn's guns. She flashed on him in the Victorian, meditating upon them, bonding with them. Yes, Logan said, reading her face. Blackthorn's guns are like these. She thought of the obsidian black barrels of those guns, with the gold swirls like a pirate tattoo along the length. He made them also, didn't he? Casey said, her intuition jumping. Blackthorn's guns, the same man who made our guns, made his as well. Logan nodded. Yes, but that is all I will say, and I will repeat that you may trust these guns nonetheless. There is nothing of Blackthorn in them, though his own guns are their brothers. These are yours, meant only for you. They were born to you as your own hand was born to you. Casey nodded uneasily, but there was no denying the thrill that ran through her when she held hers. 
nor the rapport with the weapon that every nerve of her body screamed about when she touched it. It was a magical thing. Now that I have given you your gifts, I believe we're ready to go into town, Logan said. Cody and I will keep an eye on Blackthorn, while you and Sasha go to the town hall and discover what you can about the founder of Arturo Jip. Casey nodded. What has been going on in this town, anyway? I mean, since the edict was posted, what are people saying? Pretty much what we thought, Cody said, shrugging. They're in an uproar, but no one's going to draw on the sheriff. Are people actually handing in their food and guns? Sasha asked. Cody nodded. Some are. Probably half so far. They're scared witless. But are they complaining? Casey asked. Oh, yeah. There's a crowd outside the Victorian right now. Blackthorn let it gather for the afternoon and said he'd come out at three to talk with everyone, set everything straight. What time is it now? Sasha asked. That's about ten minutes from now, Casey replied. It's 2.50. Cody nodded grimly. That's why you two are going into the town hall while we stay with the crowd. Make sure they keep Blackthorn busy. What if they don't? Sasha asked. Cody grinned. Well, and we'll keep them busy. The town hall was a dark and musty place. Casey and Sasha snuck around back, catching only a glimpse of the mob that had formed in front of Blackthorn's Victorian. Cody and Logan had gone around the front at that very moment, just as they'd planned, keeping the town's eyes and ears on their well-armed arrival. Sasha and Casey had had to work a little bit to pry a window open, but like most things in this town, breaking and entering wasn't all that difficult. In under three minutes, they were inside. White sheets with half an inch of dust on them covered the desks, chairs, and cabinets everywhere. There were a few pictures on the wall, mostly oil paintings. There was one of Daniel Boone that made Casey smile because of its resemblance to Cody. What are we looking for exactly? Sasha whispered. Documents, deeds, something official. Records of the town's founding. There has to be a, I don't know, like a homestead act or a claim act or some stupid act that let them make the town. From the U.S. government. You can't just go around making towns, you know. Somebody official has to sign off on it. So what, a filing cabinet? Sasha whispered back. Yeah, you see anything? Here, Sasha replied, nodding. There was a tall boxy shape against the wall covered by a sheet. Together, she and Casey approached and pulled the sheet down. Well, this is more like it. As they'd hoped, it was a filing cabinet. They opened the drawers and started pulling out stacks of paper at random. Casey cleared a nearby desk and sat down to go through the first fistful while Sasha brought more over. It was mostly personal mining claims, declarations of ownership. Then there were permits for buildings. She found the permit to construct the Lucky 13 Saloon, granted to an Eldon Floyd. There was also a dental practice, a general store, the construction of the Grand. Try another drawer, Casey hissed. Sasha brought over a new pile. These files looked different immediately. There were mostly pictures in them, mostly faded brown daguerreotypes of various town residents. She recognized a few, including a younger Eldon and some of the people she'd seen at the 13 and around town. There was Mrs. Hawkins from the Whitby, back when she was Miss Daly, apparently and the Fat Sisters, looking not quite so fat. There was also a daguerreotype of the crashed sky chamber in the desert. The Crooked Mansion, Bizarre Mystery of the Frontier, the caption read. She'd hoped for a picture of Arturo himself, but to her dismay, she didn't find one. How could there not be a single picture of the town's founder? Maybe he died before anyone could get his picture, or maybe he just didn't like to have his picture taken. Some people were like that. There was a photograph of a crowd of people standing proudly at the entrance of the town, next to the sign that said, Entering the Township of Arturo Jip, in reverent memory of our founder. There were a lot less gravestones back then, she noted wryly. She also noted that, oddly, it appeared that there had originally been another line of writing beneath all this. 
She squinted to try and read it, but it was too blurred in the picture. It looked like two letters, like initials, and a last name. Was that the name of the town founder? Was it possible that it was someone other than Arturo Jip? She couldn't make it out. Maybe it was the person who'd made the sign, like a signature on a piece of art, or maybe the mayor. She didn't know, but this bit had been chopped off of the current sign. No, that wasn't right. Suddenly she remembered that the bottom of the sign looked bullet-chewed, ragged, as if someone had shot it off. Had it been offensive? Or had the founder fallen out of favor in later years? The next stack of papers appeared to be deeds. Land ownership. Well, this was looking more promising. Land was granted by the town. As she neared the bottom of the stack, she finally found what she was looking for. A document declaring the foundation of the town of Arturo Jip. But as she read, she discovered it referred to a founder, but did not name him specifically. Come on, Arturo. Where the hell are you? But even more strangely, the document used her instead of him whenever the founder was mentioned. Had Arturo Jip been a woman? Casey reread the document several times. There was nothing specifically referencing the person Arturo Jip. It was like the guy, or the woman, didn't even exist. Casey was missing something, but... What was it? The town's founder ought to have left more of a trail than this. There was a pen on the table. Absent-mindedly, she wrote, Arturo Jip. Arturo Jip, Arturo Jip. What a weird name. Almost like a nickname. No, something else. Uh, a shortening? Like it stood for something? Her brain raced. She was onto something. She felt it. An anagram? Was that it? Was there something hiding inside the letters? Her heart thumped. She used to do the word jumble in the newspaper every morning when she was a kid. It had been part of her morning routine for years. She wrote out the individual letters now so that she could see them more clearly. A-R-T-U-R-O-G-Y-P. Then she tried a couple of letter groupings and quickly came up with... Artie Group. Artie Group. Well, that was unlikely. Arturo Jip was founded in the 1800s, not the 60s. And this wasn't a hippie town, that was for sure. So she tried again. Yogurt wrap, guy parrot, grapey rout, prey grout. Yogurt wrap. She thought about her joke about the grim rapper, but this was a definite no. Guy parrot? Maybe his name was Guy Parrot, or Parrot Guy. The Parrot Guy? A nickname. She set it aside for a moment. It was a possibility. But grapey rout and prey grout sounded like dead ends. She sucked on the end of a pen like she had when she was a kid, unconsciously. Sasha brought over another stack. What are you doing? she asked, looking over her shoulder. Word jumble? What, are you kidding me? Casey nodded, feeling weird even about doing it. It's probably nothing. I'm seeing if there's something inside the letters of Arturo Jip. Heh, <laughs> I used to do those too. Or my dad used to make me do them, to limber up my brain, he said. But it sounds like a reach, Sasha replied. Yeah, I know. There's nothing in these files where I'm feeling desperate, or I'm playing a hunch. I can't tell which. You haven't been through all the files yet. There's like four more stacks I brought over. There might be... Sasha went silent as she stared at the page. Oh, my God. Sasha went white. All the blood drained away from her face. What? C Casey hissed. You missed one. The most obvious one. In fact, I can't believe you missed it. Sasha looked at Casey suspiciously. What is it? Casey almost howled. She could feel it. Sasha was right. And this terrified Casey for some reason. Why, she actually felt like throttling Sasha just to keep her from telling her. 
What the hell? Why do I feel this way? Casey asked herself. But she had to know the truth, whatever it was. With a shaking hand, Sasha took the pen and wrote, Purgatory. Casey's blood turned to a prickle of ice. Her hair was dancing. Her stomach felt like it was being ripped apart by raptors. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Arturo Jip wasn't a person. It was an anagram for purgatory. Which was exactly what this place was. It was a dead-on perfect description. A place where you were trapped. A place where you were imprisoned indefinitely. And it had been right in front of them the whole time. Casey hyperventilated. Sasha felt a ticklish twitter run down her spine. Purgatory. This town was a kind of purgatory. But what did it mean? What did it mean? Casey, calm down. We discovered something important. This was a good thing. But why couldn't I see it? Casey asked, tears running down her cheeks. I mean, I shouldn't have missed that. Why didn't I see it? It was like, like I didn't want to see it or something. Like I knew, but... It's okay, Casey, Sasha said, holding Casey now and rocking her. You just missed it, that's all. No, Casey said. It's more than that. I wanted to miss it. I was trying to hide this from myself. She sniffed. Oh, God, I'm starting to sound like Max. Sasha laughed. Yes, you are. Look, Casey continued, I can't explain this, but I'm sure I was hiding this from myself. Like subconsciously, like I didn't want my conscious mind to know. Casey nodded and then became more aware of her surroundings. We better go. I don't want to keep Cody and Logan out there with Blackthorn any longer than we have to. Sasha nodded, and I was thinking the same thing. Casey got up to leave, but then something caught her eye. It was a magnifying glass abandoned on a nearby desk. Wait, she said to Sasha. There's one more thing we have to find out. What's that? If there's nobody really named Arturo Jip, then who founded this town? More to the point, who created this purgatory? How do we find that out? Sasha asked. With this, Casey said, holding up the magnifying glass. There's a picture I found of the original Arturo Jip sign. There's a name at the bottom of it, one that's not there now. And I'll bet it's the name of the town's real founder. Let me see. Casey shuffled through the picture files and found it. Here, this is it. This is the photo. She handed it to Sasha. Sasha whistled. So this is our mystery founder. Casey nodded. You know what else? I think it's a woman. The town records use she and her everywhere that the founder is mentioned. Well, show me what's behind door number two, Monty, Sasha said. Casey placed the magnifying glass over the picture and adjusted it. The original sign had said, Entering the township of Arturo Jip in reverent memory of our founder, K.C. Serranus. Casey gulped. You are the queen of this place, but you don't know it yet. Was this the name that Blackthorn had obsessively carved into his desk and scratched away a thousand times over? Her name? She had no recollection of founding the town. Would she do it in the future? That was possible. Maybe she would go through an arch, go even further back in time, and end up founding the town. Was that it? But then, how would it end up becoming some sort of weird purgatory? The sound of gunshots rang out, interrupting her thoughts. Cody and Logan, Sasha said with concern in her voice. Come on, Casey. Casey grabbed the picture and stuffed it into her pocket. Together, she and Sasha ran out the back door, silver and gold guns drawn. When Sasha and Casey arrived, the crowd was still in front of Blackthorn's Victorian, but they'd all stepped back several respectful paces. A standoff was in progress. Cody Chance stood in the center of this gulf between the townfolk, grim-faced, 
his shining silver gun pointing at Blackthorn. Logan stood at his back, his own weapons drawn, and grimacing like a grumpy patch of shoe leather beneath his crushed, dusty top hat. Blackthorn stood on the steps of his front porch, flanked by Ace in his preacher's frock with a rifle, and several men Casey recognized as drunken gunfighters who were always in the 13. They had evidently decided to sign up with the new mayor, who, in turn, had apparently allowed them to keep their weapons. Other than Cody and Logan, theirs were now the only holsters filled with iron. The sheriff hadn't drawn his gun yet, but the steel in his eyes promised that he soon would. He took his eyes off Cody only once, to acknowledge the arrival of Casey, and then the twin black orbs returned to Cody, burning with murder. A large pile of weapons lay at Blackthorn's feet. Rifles, handguns, bowie knives. There were also crates of food stacked on his porch, all the way to the second story. He had evidently had a great deal of success convincing the good citizens of Arturo Jip to hand these things over. His coup had gone swimmingly. With the possible exception of Cody and Logan, that was. And now Sasha and Casey. Ace spotted Sasha from the front porch of the Victorian. He gave her the whisper of a smile. Sasha tightened her grip on her golden white rose gun. Mr. Chance, Blackthorn said. Oh, Mr. Chance, you're going down a road from which you won't return, except perhaps in the narrow box. And you're bringing your friends down that very same dark road with you. Do you really want to do that? I'm sorry, Blackthorn. I'm just not giving up my gun, or my home, or my food. Just can't do that, Cody replied evenly. These new and good laws, Blackthorn said, sounding suddenly like a politician, have been put in place for the welfare of all. Times are different now in the Jip. Things are more dangerous. The last hill day we had, disaster. The townfolk muttered in agreement. Ten dead, seventeen wounded. And that terrible, noisome thing in the sky that the brigands launched at us before they attacked. We've never seen something like that before. No, we have to pull together. Now isn't the time to be a lone holdout. Do your part. Sacrifice a few personal freedoms for the security of all. Cody stayed steady, but Casey wanted to scream. He was lying about the jet airplane, blaming it on the brigands, using it to instill fear. Mr. Chance... By refusing, you put your fellow citizens at risk. You place your own... How? How are they at risk? I don't understand that part. Blackthorn looked at him as though he were explaining it to a child. Well, if we collect up all the guns, nobody but law enforcement will be armed. That way, no one ever gets shot who isn't breaking the law. Isn't that a small price to pay for the safety of everyone? What? Cody said, confused. Nobody here is shooting at each other. We were just talking about the last hill day. Stick to the subject. And what happens when we have another hill day? Nobody will be armed. Of course they will, Blackthorn said simply. The weapons will be kept in an armory. Whenever they're needed, the armory will be opened and everyone will be able to get their guns. There won't be enough time. You know that. Hill days come quick. We'll have drills. We'll practice. Sorry, Blackthorn, Cody said. There just ain't no way. You're leaving me with little choice, Blackthorn hissed. This is your last. Blackthorn smirked at the pun and cocked his head. Chance, Mr. Chance. Where were you on the last hill day? Cody blurted out suddenly. Blackthorn eyed him coldly. If he was startled, he didn't show it. While everyone here was fighting and dying, where were you? Aren't you supposed to be the sheriff? Aren't you supposed to be the one protecting the town? 
Cody looked around at the faces of the town folk. They were curious about this question also. Come to think of it, where had Blackthorn been? They all seemed to be thinking. Did any of you see him? All this blather about protecting the town. He wasn't there, was he? When all the shooting started, he was somewhere else. He wasn't there. Blackthorn smiled tightly. Well, I'll tell you where he was. Blackthorn and his deputies went into the hills behind the house. We saw him leave. He deserted our churro jip right when it needed him most. Are you finished? Blackthorn asked politely. Oh, I think that's more than enough to hang you from your own porch, if you don't mind me saying so, Cody replied. The people of Arturo Jip eyed Blackthorn suspiciously. Blackthorn rolled his eyes. I think you should know very well that I do mind you saying so. On Hill Day, I quickly saw that the town was outnumbered. The only chance we had was to surprise the enemy. So I did what I had to do. I led my deputies on a daring mission into the very bewitching hills of Hilday itself. A mission to outflank the brigands, to circle around and sneak up on them, to attack them from their own rear, from a position deeper into the hills behind them. The townfolk gasped. So that was where he had gone. There were even some murmurs about what a clever tactic this had been. And daring. Cody was aghast. The bald-faced, treasonous lie hung in the air, and it was rippling quickly through the crowd, being believed. Unfortunately, Blackthorn continued, all my deputies were killed in the line of duty. We were severely outnumbered. And Morgan Wiley, well, he was killed as well. Brave men, all. Blackthorn removed his hat and hung his head in false reverence for a moment. Then he returned the black hat to his head and looked Cody squarely in the eye. Now that that is settled, Blackthorn said with a rancid smile, the question I would like to pose back to you is, where were you, Cody Chance? And where was your blind, dirt-worshipping Indian friend? And where were those two over there? He nodded at Casey and Sasha. From what I was able to gather, none of you four were in the battle to defend the town for more than scant moments. We were following you, Casey exploded, unable to contain herself any longer. That's right. We were watching everything you did. You were in the hills, all right, but you weren't there to help the town. You had something else going on. Blackthorn's eyes burned alive now, glistening wet with fury. This was news to him. He didn't know someone had been watching. He hadn't realized his secret had been discovered. And what was that, Casey? Blackthorn said, almost choking on her name. A sky chamber. You were going to use it to escape the jip, but instead you blew it up. You killed your own deputies. Wiley and these so-called brigands attacking the jip were actually your men working for you to distract the town, to keep everyone busy here fighting for their lives, to keep them away from your sky chamber. And then you even killed those so-called brigands as well. There, she said it out loud. It's true, Cody yelled out, declaring it to the whole town. Every word of it. We were there. By all the red hells, we saw everything. Desperate lies from a desperate man, Blackthorn sneered, throwing back his head and laughing. The sound stuck in his throat. Why, your story doesn't even make any sense. Everyone knows that escape from the jip is impossible. And why would I go to all the trouble to build this... This... What did you say? Chamber? This thing that would let me escape. And then destroy it and turn around and kill my own men. Well, we quite haven't figured that part out yet, Cody breathed. You had your reasons, I'm sure. They probably had to do with the fact that you're one of the star people. That you're from another world. A murmur of disbelief arose in the crowd. Now Cody had gone off the edge. Blackthorn snorted. Oh, I know how it sounds. 
At first, I didn't believe it neither. Why, I didn't even believe in star people. But now that I've seen it with my own eyes, why, I have to believe. He turned his attention back to Blackthorn. You came here in that thing in the desert, the crooked mansion. We all seen that. At least even if folks here didn't know what it was. That was the ship that brought you here. It crashed and you were marooned here like the rest of us. So you started making another one, another ship. The blacksmith, he was working day and night for you. You had him slaving away, but he couldn't take it anymore. He finally turned on you, and so you had to shoot him, to shut him up. That's why you'd gone and done that. Blackthorn smirked. That is the most ridiculous story I've ever heard in all my life. The next hill day, Cody breathed. The next hill day will take people out there. We'll show them exactly where you threw dynamite into the cave. We'll show them the collapsed hillside, where you killed your own men in cold blood. Not that they didn't deserve it. But we can only judge the living, and what you did there will stand as a testament in rock and blood against you. Blackthorn's sneer turned to a tight, thin line beneath his black bristle mustache. He'd heard enough. Maybe come next hill day, someone would wander out there, just to see. The town folk didn't believe Cody now, but they'd remember this exchange. They'd wonder about it later. Little questions would come peeking up in their heads at the oddest moments. When they were in the bath, perhaps, or taking an evening walk. When they had their endless conversations about nothing at the 13. Pop! There would go another doubt. Another, hey, I wonder. Every time Cody opened his damnable yap hole, he nicked another chip into Blackthorn's unassailability, his infallibility. Casey felt Blackthorn tensing up. Blistering hatred radiated from the sheriff, right at Cody, like a stove on overdrive. He was going to draw. He was going to shoot. No, this was not going to happen. Casey raised her gun. The silver of the magnificent weapon sparkled in the red sunlight. Even the roses that adorned it seemed to come alive, their tendrils moving and slithering along the barrel, as if the gun itself were somehow awakening. Sasha had raised her own golden weapon at the same time. The two of them now stood shoulder to shoulder, aiming directly at Blackthorn. Both rose vines, the white and the red, were clearly growing restless along the lengths of both guns. They moved like thin fingers, twisting and spinning, anxious. That's impossible, Sasha thought, but clearly it wasn't. That's just a decoration on a gun. But as she thought about this, she knew it was more than that. The gun was responding to her, echoing her. The same was true of Casey's gun, and she liked it. Her own gun reminded her of a snake, rattling before striking its victim. Good, she thought. I hope this thing scares the daylights out of Blackthorn. Blackthorn, Logan Whitecloud said with a sly smile on his face. He nodded his head at Casey and Sasha. The sisters, the Red Rose and the White Rose. He grinned even wider. They seek the blood of their brother. Blackthorn's eyes jerked towards Casey and Sasha. He saw the guns and his eyes went wide with fury. Blackthorn recognized the weapons. That much was clear. He knew exactly what they were. Enraged and provoked, Blackthorn drew in a blur. He fired. But Cody was ready, and he'd already drawn his own weapon. Cody dodged to one side, rolling. Miraculously, Blackthorn missed. Cody shot as he moved. A splat of wood erupted on the porch right next to Blackthorn's head. The townspeople screamed and scattered in all directions. Blackthorn's new gunfighter lieutenants immediately cursed and crouched and ducked behind support beams of the Victorian's porch. A couple of them even dove behind the stacked crates of food for cover as Logan shot at them. Bullet-rattled tomatoes exploded in orange-red splashes, cabbage in threaded green and yellow. Fruit muck drooled down the sides of the shattered wooden crates. Casey and Sasha stood completely still. They didn't panic. 
Today I will die. I expect it. I accept it. It doesn't matter. Now I am free to fight as I should. They both remembered what Logan had taught them. Aim carefully and only then fire. Gunfighters on the ports were shooting almost everywhere at random, in a mayhem of sudden fear. They were worried sick about dying. It was the topmost thought in their minds. They choked in the great swelling mass of their own gibbering fear. Casey and Sasha each picked out a gunfighter and squeezed. Two men went down immediately. Then the girls moved to a new position in the street, but deliberately, slowly, in control. Casey downed another gunfighter, and Logan brought down yet another. Cody rolled again and stood, blasting at Blackthorn. The sheriff's twin black irons thundered back. The gold leaf whorls on them both spun hypnotically, hungrily. They thirsted for blood. Bullets slapped the ground and raised small columns of dirt in the air with a pfft near Cody. Cody and Blackthorn squared off. Cody's denim diamond studs shone like small angels singing in the sun, and the sheriff's dark guns howled with the theurgy of demons, cursed things in his cursed hands. And each expertly dodged the other's bullets, while each simultaneously had almost pinpoint aim. It was surreal to watch. There was more nerves and psychology involved than physical skill. This was a duel of masters, a virtuosos of the gun, a chess of the pistol, a dance of the dodge. But it would end, and quickly. No one could keep the pace of such an intense exchange up for long. Inevitably, one of them would slip. Meanwhile, Sasha had focused on the gunfighters in the porch. She downed two more on her own. Satisfied that Sasha had them under control, Casey now turned her enchanted silver and red-flowered irons on Blackthorn himself. I'm not going to let Blackthorn kill Cody. Not him, of all people. She was going to end the stalemate between them, quickly. Just as she was sure of her aim and about to fire, Casey felt something tap her in the head, throw her off completely. Drop them, said a familiar voice. Now. Blackthorn had already moved out of her aim. Her shot was gone. This time it was a good poke in the head. Now, or I shoot. Heartsick, Casey dropped her guns and turned to see who had gotten the drop on her. Ace. Sliced by Wolfbite's scars from head to toe, he stood there with the rifle pointed at her forehead and a sour grin on his misshapen face. He'd slithered up behind them while everyone had been distracted with Cody's diatribe. Logan picked up where Casey had left off. He too was making a move to kill Blackthorn before he could kill Cody. Logan spun with both of his guns and aimed for the sheriff. But Ace spotted what Logan was up to. He spun his own aim with a manic glee and then fired. Logan was caught unaware. It had happened too fast. Even with a strong eye, he could still be blindsided by a quick move. Red sprayed from Logan's shoulder. He dropped his guns in surprise, and then he himself fell to the ground wordlessly. He didn't cry out, but his mouth formed a clenched perfect O as he hit the dirt. His crumpled top hat rolled away on the ground, a crippled and bereft thing in the wind. Ace hit him two more times, just to be sure he stayed down. Logan! Casey howled. But he was alive. She suddenly realized she should be more worried about Cody. Blackthorn's hail of brimstone and treacle had become more frantic. The black irons in his hands thundered balefully. Heat roared from the shafts. Flames licked the nozzles in curls of hellfire. Cody returned this flurry with his own silver, flying furious and loud. His irons snarled and bucked like rabid wolves, snapping back at Blackthorn with increasing urgency. It was a miracle that neither one of them had been hit yet. 
They were both weaving and twisting like gymnasts, impossibly avoiding death by impalement on a tiny ball of lead. Cody's face was red and livid. He was concentrating every ounce of his awareness on the task at hand. It took everything that he was. In the world, we may see two gunfighters. To her dismay, Casey could see now that Blackthorn was gaining the upper hand. He was just a bit faster, just a tad bit cleverer. He was focused, but not expending all his energy on the task in the way Cody seemed to need to. Blackthorn was more centered still. And he didn't even look tired yet. And Cody knew it also. His own twisting had become more desperate. His mistakes and near misses were multiplying. Already he was exhausted, squeezing every last drop of strength from his weary bones. He was getting sloppier. The constant melee was taking its toll. Casey mournfully noted that her own guns were right there on the ground in front of her. But Ace's rifle was inches away from her temple again. She'd never grab them in time. And then, a bullet grazed Cody's arm. A thin streak of blood drizzled down at once. Then another one. This one nicked his leg. His diamond-studded pant leg jumped like panic. And finally, a startling mist of red in front of Cody's heart. He was blown back several feet in the air. His eyes went blank like his very soul had been blasted out the back of his body. Blackthorn shot him again in the chest before his body even hit the ground. No! Casey howled. Casey felt the world crack in half. The very ground seemed to shake with her anguish. Blackthorn grinned like a ghoul. Sasha had been focused on the porch gunfighters, of which there was only one left. But when she heard Casey's wail, she turned. The fighting stopped as if some spell had been broken. Casey ran to Cody and skidded on her knees to his side, sobbing wildly. Cody looked up at her. This is the way it had to be, he whispered with a crooked smile. Then the light went out of his dazzling blue eyes, and they became two lifeless marbles. No! Casey was shattering. No! But Cody was dead. There was no bringing him back. The air crackled. Casey felt some beast in her own chest roar to life. Blackthorn still stood where they'd been when he'd fired the lethal shot. His black iron hung from his hand at his side. Wordlessly, Casey rose and walked towards her own guns, fury burbling in her heart. Casey, Sasha whispered to her, no. She was finally going to do the stupid thing Sasha feared. She was going to get herself killed. But Ace was closer to the Eldritch weapons. With a sneer, he stooped and reached out greedily for the twin shooters. But just as his hand closed around one of them, something like white electricity lashed out from the gun, zapping him. His hand jumped back and he screamed in surprise and pain. Angered, he tried again, and once more the gun jolted him with a sizzle of energy. The guns were bounded to Casey. They were part of her now. No one else could touch them. Ace cried out and held his hand in agony. He'd been injured far worse by the second attempt. His hand was actually smoking. Ignoring him, Casey bent and retrieved her weapons. She placed one in its holster and whirled and immediately pointed the other at Blackthorn. Aiming at his head, she closed the distance between them. Blackthorn waited, expressionless. You will put that weapon down, Blackthorn whispered, or I will... Shut up! Casey howled like a sudden thunderclap. Blackthorn started as if he'd been slapped. After a moment, he opened his mouth again as if to say something, to try a different tack. Do not speak! Casey cried out again, and this time, the ground of Arturo Jip shook noticeably. Even Blackthorn looked scared by the tremor. Casey was running on pure instinct now, pure passion. There was no conscious thought involved. 
but this torrent welling out of her soul would not be stopped. Casey and Blackthorn locked eyes. With a smooth, certain motion that brooked no argument, Casey reached out and deftly snatched the silver star from Blackthorn's chest. You are no longer the sheriff of Arturo Jip. This town deserves a sheriff that is brave and honorable. You are neither. Blackthorn looked stunned for the first time, like she just drained him of his power. But he was immobilized. He didn't try to stop her. He seethed as if itching to shoot her, but didn't seem able to. You are nothing now, Casey told him. You can't kill me, Blackthorn hissed dangerously. Casey stepped closer. Get out of my sight, now. Get the hell out of the jip. Blackthorn stood still for a moment. He looked like he couldn't believe that this was really happening, that Casey had found this strength, whatever it was, within her. You have no idea what you're starting, witch, Blackthorn growled. By all the red hells, you have no idea what you're in for. You will hang on the tree of pain for this before this is over. Casey erupted. I'm sick to death of you, Blackthorn. You will leave. Leave now. The ground shook again with her passion, and this time the red sun in the sky lost its bloody tinge, and a single shaft of clean, pure, healthy sunlight shone down on Casey, and Casey alone. The rest of the world was suddenly bereft, left in a deep, eerie twilight like an eclipse. Casey stood, the only thing illuminated by the sun. Sasha looked up. There were no clouds, and the sun itself was still clearly visible in the sky. It just wasn't shining on anything except for Casey. Sasha gasped. With all the sun's rays focused on Casey, she could even see stars winking in the afternoon sky. Blackthorn stepped back from the column of yellow sunlight bathing Casey and shielded his eyes. He'd had enough. He turned with a snarl and mounted his black stallion. Ace, still clutching his burnt hand, ran after him in a panic and jumped on another horse. The two of them spurred their mounts and fled into the desert at a gallop. As they left, normal daylight returned to the jip. The blood-red light of the Egyptian sun was back again. Casey watched them go, dwindling to specks in the distance. Just when they were almost out of sight, they stopped and turned back towards the town. Blackthorn's horse reared and then dove, complete with rider, right into the sand. Ace and his horse followed. The ground swallowed them both. But Casey already knew in her heart that she hadn't seen the last of them. She looked down at the silver star, the badge, in her hand. Without thinking about it, she pinned it on her own shirt. There was a new sheriff in Arturo Jip. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book One, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book Two, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>